0: Good morning, my name is Eric Montoya, one of the pastors at The Grove, and uh, we're going to start a new series, it's called The Best Life Possible, and uh, when I saw this video this last week, I laughed, it's like a five minute long video of these old men who are just having fun, dancing away, um, they're not ashamed, not embarrassed, they're just having a good time. I know back know about you, when you're watching that, you know, part of you laughs, and you're like, alright, man, they're still going, this is crazy, and you like that one, like shaking the leg thing, I was like, I have a friend that dances like that, he's a pastor, He's awesome. And uh, I, I saw him and I was like, that is, that is Pastor Christian. And just, we just we laughed. So if you know Pastor Christian Bernalillo, one of our friends, um, I saw that and it's like, ah, this is my friend. So uh, we're in a series called The Best Life Possible. Um, and if you're a guest, we want to say thank you for coming. And you're going to love this series because it's going to talk about the heart of what Christianity really is. Um, we're going to be going for the next five weeks kind of to this idea of what does it mean to live the best life possible? Um, if, if you really don't know much about Christianity, this is going to be a really good kind of, um, introduction to really what it means. And for the Grove, this is going to be our heartbeat for the rest of our existence as a church really it is. So for five weeks, we're going to kind of talk about what it means to be a church that God wants us to be. And then we're going to play this out for the rest of really the rest of my life. It's, it's a call that God is kind of as a Christ follower said, you need to do these things. If you're going to be a Christian, which is a Christ follower, um, some people, you know, when you hear the word Christian, it just brings a negative connotation with it. People really don't, maybe they, they've had known people call themselves Christians, and they just didn't really uh, feel good about that the way that person lived. So Christian sometimes have a negative kind of um, image when we hear that word. But really, Christ follower is what it means. It means somebody who's trying to follow the example of Christ, of Jesus Christ. And so, we're going to kind of talk about this. What does it mean to, to live the best life possible? So, if we only have one life to live, right... I think that's a so proper, one life to live. Yeah. So, if we only have one life to live, why not choose to live the best life that we could possibly live on her, here on earth? See, I used to think, you know, growing up, uh, I am 34 now, and the, what, with the average is about 70 some, right? So, I used to think, man, that is such a long life. And now 30, uh, 34, um, I'm like, that is not that long of a life. It goes really quick. And then when you have kids, my oldest is eight years old, and, uh, eight years went like, so fast i'm like we just you were just a baby and now you're in second grade and it's it's amazing so um time can go really quickly and so if we have one life to live why not choose to make the best life possible and so for the for the 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 series you can see the hands in the air here we thought man we were looking through pictures on the internet of what does it look like people enjoying life and living the best life what we kept seeing over and over for the best life was roller coasters. And uh, sports, sporting events where the teams are winning and people are so excited. Uh, high fives to each other. Um, like the guy in the beginning dancing, he had his hands in the air. He was, he was all in, right? So we just thought, man, this is a great little image here of just this for somebody that's enjoying life, somebody that's living the best life they could possibly live. Um, it's kind of like this. If you go to the next slide for me, my, my thing's not working, so I'll just kind of have to look back. Um, yeah, that one there. So here's the kind of idea. If we're going to live the best life possible... Um, it's about following the one who made life in the first place. So if we want to learn what, it, what does it mean to live the best life we could possibly live, on, live here on earth, well, we should ask the, guy, the the person that designed it for us to live, right? And so we believe that's God. So we only get one chance at this. Why not live the best one that we can possibly live? Why don't we choose to say, you know what, I'm going to make, I'm gonna make a, a wise choice. Um, we'll only have a few more months left in the year. You know, we start the new year. And we'll have a series where we really talk about 2015, how we can make it the best year ever. I believe every year can be better than the last year if we decide and choose to. Starting over was a series that kind of kicked us off, um, where it kind of says, "Hey, if we're going to start better and do better, we have to answer some of these questions." Well, today we're going to kind of go into this. What does it mean to live this best life possible? So here's the challenge, though. Most of us in this room grew up in the United States of America. Maybe I'm I'm guessing some, maybe not. Um, But even if not, you most likely were born in the in the in the Western into the Western mindset and into the Western world. Well. A Western mindset is different than an Eastern mindset. Um, And an Eastern mindset, they they see things differently than Westerners do. So um, when I say best life possible, the challenge is each one of us, depending on how we were raised, is going to filter what we think that means. So I say best life possible. Some instantly think the American dream, right? Fame and fortune. That's what the best life is. Man, if I get all the jet skis, I get the nice house, the nice car, I am living the good life, right? Anybody with me? So a lot of people think that if you're born in the West, you're thinking automatically. I'm filtering it through what I've seen. Hollywood says if I have this and this and this, then that is the best life I could possibly have. So we have to kind of step back a few a few steps. We're not talking about that kind of life, all right? Those things aren't bad. I'm not saying they're bad, but it's not it's not what I believe God intended to make the the um, the goal for our life. Sometimes those are the fruit of when we really live a, a healthy life. We get some of those things. But that's not the goal. God never intended this. And here's how I know. So Jesus, he was born into, um, into a, a Jewish nation. So he was Hebrew. He was a Jew. All right? So um, I hear a lot of people say, well, Christianity is a, is, is a Western religion. They've kind of taken it and made it a Western religion. Well, first of all, I don't think God was, Jesus was trying to create a religion. I think he was trying to fix what was broken and show us how to do it right. Okay? And so out of that came beliefs and practices that we talk about and we share. But I don't think his intention was saying, I'm going to start this new religion that's called Christianity. He was coming to say, hey, God has been on this journey with us. Whether you were part of the Jewish nation or not, it says that uh, Paul says that the heavens, they declare God's goodness. So we see God's fingerprints and works all around us. If we just open our eyes and look, we begin to see, wow, those stars in the skies, those are pretty awesome. And then when you get the telescope and you zoom into those stars, you're like, whoa, those are not just awesome, those are amazing. And we look at the mountain, and we look at just that creation. So Paul is saying there's this, 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 um, this big, huge story that's going on, unfolding, and we see it in creation. And God is wanting to, to be us to be a part of what He's doing. And so Jesus, is, first of all, it's not a Western religion. If He was Eastern, we could even say if we're going to categorize Christianity as a religion, it would actually be more, more Eastern. We've kind of, I think, Westerners kind of hijacked it and made it into this idea of. Um, well, the American dream, let's couple it with Christianity and let's put those two together and let's accomplish it. And I think we can't mistake Christianity for the American dream. And I think the other part of this is we can't mistake the best life possible for just heaven. All right? It's, it's, heaven is going to be great. After this life is over, God He came to, to give us a way to get back to God. But our end destination, that's important. But the journey is also what God cares about. He wants us to live here and now the best life we could possibly live. And so he's inviting us into this relationship. So um, we have to kind of take a step back. Before we get into what does this best life possible look like, which next week we're going to kind of start it off, I would encourage you to, to come because we're going to hit it hard of saying, hey, this is somebody asked Jesus. All right, so explain this, summarize it. What is this all about? And Jesus gave him an answer that was awesome that we'll talk about next week. But before we get there, we have to kind of give some, some groundwork. as a background of saying, so if we're going to really understand Jesus' words and his teachings, we have to understand a little bit of where he came from and who, where, what, the culture he was born into so that when we read scriptures, when we read his words, we're not thinking just the American dream. We're not just thinking the worldview I was born in because when we do that, we can, we can make the scripture say something that it's really not saying. So Jesus was born into a very poor nation. Okay, 90% of the people in, in Jesus' day didn't know where their next meal was going to come from. So we could throw out the American dream. When he says, I'm going to give you, and we'll we'll read a scripture where he talks about giving us life. When he makes a statement, they weren't thinking, oh, fame and fortune, that's the best life possible. Some of these people heard that, they thought, just having food this week, that would be like the best life ever. Because they were so poor, and they were under under, uh, oppression by the, the Roman government. And so 90% of them didn't even know where their next meal was going to come from. This is why I love Jesus. His message is so transferable to every culture, every demographic on this world. Because it'll fit wherever you're at. Rich or poor, his message is here to give us life and to help us succeed. And so we can't confuse what his word says for what we're thinking a lot of times, of what we've grown up thinking and what we see on TV. Because if we follow those, we're going to miss it. So here's the tension that we have to kind of live with for this, kind of this series and for our life. We have messages that hit us every day that says, if you have this, and if you have this, and if you have that, man, that is, that is life. You're succeeding. And we have that all the time, thousands of messages every day telling us, you're going to be happy if you have these things. You're going to have it. But we see the people that have all that stuff, they turn, come out and they'll say, you know what? I have all these things, but I just still feel like I'm missing something. Like there has to be more to life than just all of this. And these are the people that have reached everything, you know, all the fame, all the fortune, everything you can have. They still will come out and say, there's just something that's not, I was made for more than this. So this is what Jesus said. Uh, John 10, 10, He says, um, I have come that they may have life. God stepped out of heaven in a human form as a little baby. We believe his name is Jesus Christ. He came, he was born as a little baby, grew up just like you and me, he, had, he, he, he worked, he, he had to go through all the difficulties, he was, probably, he was hungry. He went through all these different stages that we go through. And he says, the reason I came, and the reason I walked like, like you guys walk, is so that I can give you life. I have come that they may have life, and that life to the full. That's a great statement. You know, there's, there's a scholar named Eugene Peterson who translated the, the, the Bible, and he says it this way in the message. He says, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. I love that translation. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. See, when I say dream, the life you dreamed of, we all right away a lot of times slip to the American dream of, hey, fame and fortune. Even that, he's saying, no, it's better life than that. Even if you had a lot of stuff, this life is going to be way better. Even if you didn't have any of that, you would still be happy. Um, I had the, the privilege of, when I grew up, my parents sent me on a lot of mission trips to different parts of the world. I was able to go to, to South America, to Central America, to Africa. What I found is I would encounter people that had nothing. And when I say nothing, I mean nothing. Their, their house was, you know, this really, really small. Um, they all, the family lived in there, and, and they no running water. And, and when we would meet them, they would prepare us these meals that they couldn't even afford. I was like, it would be hard to eat because you're like, man, you can't afford this, but they wanted to treat us good. But these people had nothing, and they had so much more joy than I had who had a lot of things and I was questioned that when I'd go to go, go hang out with these people in the parts of the world I'd say like how are they so happy with nothing and I go home and I have running water and I have a, a toilet I can sit on and I have food in the fridge and I have all these things because they didn't I'm living in, in Paraguay for a while you you have to you know use restroom in a hole in the ground out in this, in the boonies and things like that well we just kind of we have this this mentality of well if we have all these things we're gonna be happy but they didn't have any of that and they had so much joy and peace. Why? Because I believe they were living the best life they could possibly live, because they weren't looking in the, at the wrong thing. They weren't seeing life through a, a distorted or even the wrong filter. So when he says the best life you can dream of, whatever you can dream of, it's still better than that. But this is what I love that how he said it: that they can have real and eternal life. So eternal life is important. What we believe life's going to keep going on after our, our time on earth is, is done, after after these years that he's given us. And that's important. But what I love is he says real life. So if there's a real life there must that must insinuate that there's also a fake life right you with me so he's saying the a real life opposed to the fake life see I would I would say that all around us a lot of times we have we have little glimpses of real life but then there's all this fake also thrown in there um, and we're bombarded with it see, through social media through the through, through the TV through the internet we have all these messages of saying hey this is what you need this is what you need but there's this element that it's not it's not real. There's an element of it's just a facade. It's just fake. It's what we put out there for everybody to see, but they don't really see what we are like when we're all alone and not in front of people or not on, on, on the screen for us, a happy picture of us. So he says that they may have a real life, not a fake life, and a more and better life than they ever dreamed of. So he's inviting us into this, into this reality of saying, I have the best life that you could possibly live here on earth if you'll just follow me. And we're going to talk about what that looks like. But we have to begin to see the way God sees. In, this, in, the, in, in the context of this, of this um, scripture, John 10.10, 10, what's really interesting is Jesus is doing, he does all these miracles. He, um, if we go back a few verses, it, it talks about how he, um, let me find one. He feeds 5,000. He walks on water with his disciples. Um, he casts out demons. He heals people. And then he gets to this place where he, he heals a, blind, a man that's born blind. man was born blind. He heals him gives, him, gives him sight, and this man can see all the religious leaders are really upset with Jesus because he's really not fitting into their system. He, their, their best life that they think, well, Jesus doesn't really fit that. He's kind of telling people it's different than what they're saying. And so they get really upset, and they get mad that Jesus heals this blind guy. And so in the context of when he says, I've come to give you life, they go into this dialogue about spiritual blindness. And he tells the religious people of his day, all right, so you're claiming that you can see God, you can see what's really true, but you're blind. And what's really bad is when you claim that you can see, and you're actually blind, that's like a double whammy. It's, it's, It's horrible. In fact, he says, if you were blind to the religious leaders, he says, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So he's saying there's an element of these people that were, were teaching a worldview that was just missing reality. It was off. They got focused on the wrong things, but it started at what God asked them to do. But they just they turned on the wrong things. And so he comes in and says, "All right, I'm going to talk about I'm going to I'm, I'm going to talk about what really seeing." And he says, "I have come to give you a real life, something that's real, not not fake, but real." Um, there's a story about these blind men who come upon his elephant, and as these blind men are at this elephant. One of them touches the, the side of the elephant, and it's just solid and massive, and the blind guy says, I think it's a wall. And another blind man, he comes around the leg, and he's like, well, this is weird. It's kind of like a tree. And then one elephant on the front, he, he touches the tusk, and he's like, what are you talking about? It's like a spear. And there's another one in the front, and he gets the, he gets the, uh, the trunk, and he's like, it's kind of like a snake, but it's kind of like slimy in the front. It's kind of weird. I don't know what this is, but it's, I think it's like a snake. And they start arguing and says, no, it's like a wall. No, it's like a tree. No, nah, you guys are all wrong. It's like a spear. No, it's like it's like a snake. And they argue and argue and argue all day long until finally a man comes up. He can see the elephant in the entirety and he says, hey, what are you guys uh, arguing about? You know, calm down. Calm down. What's going on? And one guy says, well, we're touching this thing in front of us and it, it has to be a wall. This guy says a tree, but I feel this wall. He, he's, he's crazy. He is dumb. He's not even intelligent. And the next guy says, no, it's, it's, a, it's a tree. And finally, the, the man that can see says, well, um, you guys are all kind of a little bit right, but you're all also wrong. See, see, it's called an elephant. And this elephant, he has these really big legs that kind of feel like a tree. And he has his body that is solid that would kind of feel like a wall. And he has these tusks that I guess would feel like a spear. And he has the, a, snout, a a trunk that, that might feel like a little bit like a snake. So this is what it is. And he explains to these blind men what an elephant really is. Jesus comes into the picture he says, you're saying life is about this wall. These other guys are saying this life is about this tree. And he says, no, I'm, I'm trying to tell you guys, there's something bigger that's here that you're not seeing. Jesus is trying to help people to see the way God sees. So see, he would make these statements and it would make the religious people really mad because the religious people... See, Jesus' day... They would memorize scripture. So as little kids, you would memorize, the, 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 the as boys, the first five books of the Bible, by heart. Because they didn't have the, the actual physical Bible, uh, the scriptures. And so they would memorize the first books, five books of the, the Bible, called the Torah. As little kids, they would grow up memorizing these things. And then if they were smart enough, they'd go to the next level, and they begin to learn the prophets. And they would learn the other stuff, and they would memorize this. So the religious teachers were the lawyers of his day, which meant... All of the Old Testament, they had memorized, and they debated and talked about it. So Jesus would say, hey, um, you know, you, you've heard that it's said, but I tell you it's like this. He was saying, all right, so the, the world is telling you this is what life is really about. You've heard this, but I'm telling you it's really this. And then you would tell the religious like, well, don't you know it's written? And they'd be like, yes, of course we know it's written. Jesus, we know the Bible. We know the scriptures. And they would get infuriated with him because he would question how they saw life. All the while, they're saying, I think it's a wall. And if you don't think it's a wall, man, you're wrong. And and he's saying, no, no, there's something more going on. If we look in the the book of Mark, and I would encourage you to read this. Um, There's a story in in in, in, um, chapter 8 where it says he heals a blind man. And and I would encourage you to go read through this sometime this week and, and, and ask yourself, um, am I kind of maybe like the, like the religious leaders, the Pharisees, who've kind of got my head kind of strong and my, my, um, my mind made up that it's like this? Because I could tell you something. Even, even if, you, if, you, if you claim to be a Christ follower, a Christian, you can still be wrong at moments in your life. As a pastor, I can be wrong at moments in my life. And sometimes if I get really hard-headed and I, and I start fighting, you know, God might be saying, no, no, you're missing it. You have to be aware of what I'm trying to do here. Because it's not always just about, being, about just being right all the time. It's about helping come, people come along on the journey. And God is trying to get people, Jesus is trying to get these religious people even, to see it differently so they can see the elephant, not just a part of it, and get stuck on the wrong thing and then make everybody get tripped up. So it says that they came, um, this is Mark 8, 22. It says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand, led him outside the village, and then he had spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on, on him. And Jesus asked, "Do you see anything?" So this is kind of weird right off the bat, right? So Jesus, the prophet, this this teacher, he spits on the guy's eyes, he's going to heal him from blindness, and he says, "Do you see anything?" See, he's healed other blind people, so we know he can do this. It's a different story. He says, "Do you see anything?" The man looked up and said, "Well, I see people. They kind of they look like trees walking around." So it kind of was a distorted image. Like, all right, kind of, if you squint your eyes, you know, like you kind. if you lift your hands in the air, I'd be like, yeah, there's a lot of trees out there. But you're people. So that's kind of how Jesus was. Yeah, I see your trees. And so Jesus is, the, the man is saying, well, I kind of, I kind of see him, you know, it wasn't a full thing. Now, some people would say, so did Jesus make a mistake? Like, did he say the wrong prayer? Or what's going on? I believe something greater is going on here. I don't think God makes mistakes. I think he, there's something very intentional that's happening here. So he says, do you see anything? They say, "Well, I see people that look at like trees." So once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were open; his sight was restored. He saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, "Do not go into the village." So he didn't have the life experience to be able to tell what a person, what was a person, and what a tree. So first, he gave him the physical sight, and then he, he gave his mind the ability to understand what he saw. That's possible. Or this man could have lost his sight. Because some some guys, that one guy he he healed was born blind. This one just said they brought a blind man. So it could be one of those cases where they lost sight, um, and they brought him to him. So what you're saying could be true, um, but it also could be just he lost somewhere along the line. He knew what trees were, and and he lost his sight, and then they said, what do you see? So it could have been either or, all right? So Jesus is saying, um, so he does this this miracle. What's interesting is people would say, well, did he mess up or what? I think if we look back down the story of Mark, we'll see kind of the answer. So we go back a few, few uh, chapters. He heals a man of demon possession in chapter five. All right. Uh, chapter four, he calms a storm. He's in the boat with his disciples, and he, he, he speaks to the storm and says, "Peace be still," and the storm stops. He heals a, a dead gr- a de- girl that dies. He brings her back to life. A woman that's been bleeding most of her life, he heals and stops the bleeding. Um, he sends out his twelve disciples. And they go and they do miracles and cast out demons and do amazing things. Okay, so the, the, all this experience, and then he feeds five thousand people, which is they record men, so it's more than five thousand people, but five thousand men. He feeds one day. That's verse. Uh, that's chapter six. He walks on water in chapter six. Um, he heals a deaf man and a mute, a deaf and mute man, and then he feeds another four thousand people. And as soon as he feeds 4,000 people, the Pharisees, the religious people, come to him. He's already been doing all these miracles, and all these cool things. He feeds 4,000 people and the religious people. This is in chapter 8. They come to him and they say, um, the Pharisees, this is verse 11 of chapter 8. It says, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus, to test him. They asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? A tie the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then they left him. They got back in the boat and crossed the other side. So the religious people are saying, "All right, Jesus, show us a sign, a miracle, and then we'll believe." Well, didn't he hasn't he been doing all these miracles and signs? And it's kind of like they don't get it. It's kind of like they don't really see what's happening. They know what they they've been taught to believe, but they're this is different. And so he's saying, they're saying, "Come." And so he's really upset. He gets in the boat with the disciples and he says, "Guys, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod." Watch out for their teaching. Watch out for what they're teaching. Watch out for how they see the world, their worldview. Well, the disciples, they don't really understand what he's saying. And they say, they start discussing. They say, it's because we forgot to bring bread on the boat. Man, we forgot to bring bread. He's probably upset because we don't have anything to eat. And he's saying, no, no. And then this is what he says to them. Aware of their discussion, verse 17, he says, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves and fed the five thousand? How many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? And they replied, Twelve. And when I broke the seven loaves for the four thousand, how many baskets pieces did you pick up? And they answered, Seven baskets. And then he said, Do you still not see and understand? And then they get off the boat on the island of Bethsaida and they brought a man and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He touched the blind man with his hand, led him outside the village and when he spit on the man's eyes, put his hands on him and asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, they look like trees walking around. I see some people, they look like trees. Now <laughs> right, we went through that, right? You with me? All right. Once more, Jesus put his hands on, his, on the man's eyes Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. And Jesus sent him home, saying, do not go into the village. So, I think the first prayer was for the disciples. He takes this man, he spits on his eyes, prays for this man, and he says, I kind of see, but it's kind of fuzzy. And I I can imagine him looking at the disciples like, guys, are you paying attention? Are you taking notes here? Do you get this? This is for you. It's an illustration. He kind of sees, but it's a little fuzzy. And then he prays again, and the man can see clearly. When we talk about the best life possible, it is, it is very possible that in the next five weeks that all of us could totally miss what God is trying to say if we really don't open our hearts and say, God, would you give me understanding? Would you enlighten me? Would you help me to see this? See, he saw the world differently than the Pharisees, the religious people did. Sometimes he can see the world differently than very religious Christians even or very religious, un, that are, you know, non-Christians, even atheists. We could miss it. People can miss it if our hearts are hard, and we are so set on saying, no, no, this is my worldview, this is the only way it's going to be. If we're going to talk about the best life possible, we have to begin to say, how can I see the way Jesus saw? See, the disciples, they saw these miracles. you just walking on water, feeding people. And they get in the boat, and, and they think that he's worried about not having food. He's like, guys, didn't you just see the miracle? I just kind of made food come out of almost nowhere. Took a little bit and made it big. Like, you know, I can do some amazing things. And they're always worried about, man, this is, this is how it's supposed to be. And so he prays for the man he could kind of see. And then he, he prays again they could fully see. See, I think the blind man was kind of the disciples. He was trying to say, guys, you were like this blind man. You're beginning to see a little bit, but you have this conflicting worldview of being popular and having power. See, some of the disciples, they were following Christ just because they wanted him to become king and they wanted to rule with him. They're like, we're going to take out Rome, we're going to take him on, we're going to take him down, and we're going to be part of the the ruling party. And their worldview was not the worldview that Jesus was wanting them to see through. We as a a culture can get caught up on left and right and how we see things. And both sides can completely miss what God is wanting to do sometimes. Because our worldview is not always what God wants us to see. So, if we're going to live the best life possible, here's kind of where we need to start. We need to say, God, I kind of see just a picture of this, what's going on. It feels like a wall. But can you help me see the whole thing? Would you teach me what an elephant is? Would you teach me what life really is? See, being a Christ follower means that we open ourselves up to say, God, I need your help, I need understanding. One of those things that the place that starts is humility, you know. Especially if you're a guy, you know, we are hard-headed and we just know that we know, right? Yeah, yeah. so <laughs> you understand. You're with me. Well, I think we all as human we get like this. We just we know it's, it's our thing. We know it. Well, humility means that we take a step back and say, you know what? There's things I don't know, and I really don't know what's going to how things are going to play out. But God is brilliant. Holy Spirit, Jesus is brilliant. He knows what's coming down the road for your life. He knows what's coming down the road for us as a, as, a, as a nation, as a world. And if we're willing to say, God, I want to walk with you through this life, he'll give us insight to say, hey, things are coming. What do you prepare? I, I was at a conference last week in, in Dallas, and there's this pastor who said, in April of 2007, or 2008, I think it was 2008, he really sensed God spoke to him and said, hey, you need to cut back spending all your money from the church and just save like crazy. And he's like, I didn't really know. We were doing really well as a church financially. And he says, I didn't really know where this was coming from, but I really got this like, sense that God was speaking and telling me something's coming. I need to prepare for it. Well, later that year, about September or so, 2008 came along, and, and, and the market changed and shifted. And they lost, and it's a bigger church, but they lost $2.5 million in their budget of giving that just dropped off. And he says, if we wouldn't have stopped spending, that would have crippled our church and probably took us under. But because we heard and we believed God was speaking to us as a, as a leadership, we began to save and store and prepare. He says, we stopped buying anything, everything. He says, we just prepared. And then when that came through, he says, it was, it was hard. They had to work through things. And they had to make things go through. But then a few years later, they began to get traction again, and the church began to grow. See, I believe God wants to speak to each every, every one of us the same way he spoke to that pastor in Dallas. Why? Because he knows what's coming down. He knows what your kids need. In two months, in a year, in two years, and if you're sensitive, you begin to say, "God, would you help me to be able to speak in, into their life what they need at work?" He knows what's going to play out. But as long as we come into with this mindset of, "Yeah, I got it. I know it's, I'm just. I'm going to live life, and I'm going to do what everybody says to do. I'm going to follow the crowd, follow, just go with the, the flow." We're going to find these aspects of life and say, "Yeah, it's just a tree. Back off. I understand. It's a tree. It's solid. This is secure. It's not going anywhere." My bank account is never going to change because it's like a tree. It's solid. And God might say, no, back up a little bit. Let me heal you so you can have sight and you can see. We sing a song that says, amazing grace, right? Saved a wretch like me. Somebody that's just that's messed up. I was once was blind, but now I see. That's a powerful song about grace and how God wants to open our eyes to see things that we've maybe missed the whole time. If we're going to live the best life possible, it needs to start with us saying, God, and help me to see what you see. And help me, to, help me to know when I'm missing it. And when I'm stuck on something that's not healthy and not good. The best life possible needs to start saying, all right, God's worldview is different than the Republican worldview. God's worldview is different than the Democrat worldview. God's worldview is even sometimes different than the Christian worldview that we hold to so strong. Why? because we're humans who get stuck on one aspect of it and say no this is the most important thing it's a tree some get the the the, the tusk and they say no life is so hard it's like a spear we got to we got to go and attack we got to be got to say no back up it's something totally different don't get stuck on the wrong things how do i know we can miss it because the pharisees and the people in Jesus' day missed it and they had the scriptures they memorized these things it was part of their culture they shouldn't have missed it, but they got stuck on the wrong things. And so as we go forward, we're going to talk about that. What are the right things then? Because we don't want just want to stay talking about the wrong things all the time. We want to talk about what are the right things. And they ask Jesus, Oh, yeah. That means the movie is starting in about an hour. So <laughs> it's quiet. That's good, though. It's kind of soothing and nice. Um, I have a pastor friend who, who who did a church in a theater in, in Rio Rancho and says, Yeah. Sometimes in the middle of, like, the end of the talk, like, the music would come on, and he made it sound like it was really bad, like, you couldn't hear yourself and talk, and this is not that bad. We can, we can work with this. So I'll call him today and say, hey, I got your experience today, man. So um, I'm wrapping up anyway, so it's a good time to say, hey, we're done. But I want to just encourage you, next week as you come, um, be, be open to say, what are those right things that Jesus is talking about? Jesus is awesome. He's brilliant. And he made a lot of people mad because of things he would say. But he was, he was so funny. You know the guys dancing? Man, they enjoyed life. He would tell jokes that would make people on one side laugh and the other side's really mad. And then he would, tell, he would continue the story and he'd make this side that was mad now laughing and make this side upset. He was awesome. His stories, we don't, we don't always catch them because we have the Western worldview and we see things the way the Westerners see. But if we begin to understand how Jesus saw life, we'd begin to say, man, this, he was funny. And he had life to give us. So, if he's offering us the best life possible, we have to make the choice to say, I want to learn what that is. And next week, we'll kind of get into that. This week, the challenge for us is this, that every day, even before you go home, today, sometime you need to say, God, I'm going through something really difficult. Would you help me? I don't really see clearly how this is going to be any good. But would you help me to see what you see? Because maybe we can take this and make it into something beautiful. Because God's really good at that. Taking our past and our hurt and our baggage and creating something very beautiful out of it. And He invites us to join Him in that. And we'll begin to see that we can really live and enjoy life. And sure, there's moments where it's hard and difficult. Laughing's not appropriate. But I believe, majority of the time, it should be fun. We should be able to laugh. We should be able to just enjoy what we do. Wherever we find ourselves. Would you be favor? Would you close your eyes and bow your head? And, um, we give an opportunity to every service. If people are here, maybe you're, you're, you're looking for answers. Maybe you know I am blind and I cannot see very clearly. I need prayer. We want to give an opportunity for you to be able to pray a prayer with us. It's a simple prayer of just a relationship of saying, God, I want to start this relationship with you where I can trust you. See, he, he invited his disciples and said, Come and follow me, I'll show you life. And his invitation is for us today, saying, Come and follow me. If you're here today, maybe you're going through a lot. You say, I need help. I want to follow Christ. If he, if he's as smart as you're saying he is, man, I want his help. If that's you, would you would you raise your hand? Awesome. Awesome. A lot of hands going up. Thank you. Once you raise it, you can put it down. I'm not going to embarrass you, call you up. I just want to lead you in a prayer. Anybody else? And I'm blind. I'm going through things in life and I just everything just looks like trees I don't even see people I don't even see an elephant I don't even see a tree I see like a twig anybody else? awesome for you that pray that prayer I'm going to just lead you you just repeat a prayer that just says you're saying God I need your help God forgive me for my part that's what we're going to say and we're going to say open my eyes help me to see because the scripture says this those that confess God as Lord they will be saved those that acknowledge that He died on that cross for our sins and, and that we believe He's raised again, man, there's, there's salvation that comes with that. There's peace. So, you raise your hand. If, if anybody else wants to pray with us, just join us in this prayer. Say, Father God, I need your help. Forgive me for missing it so many times. Open my eyes to see and to understand. Help me to know your way in your life. I invite you to lead me and to guide me through the good days and through the bad days. I believe you died on that cross for me. And I believe that you rose again. Would you help me today? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you pray that prayer, man, thank you so much. It's, it's, a, it's a beginning, a first step of saying, I want to follow. One of the next things that we haven't done yet, but water baptism is another step that God invites us into is obedience. We'll talk more about it in days to come, but if, if you, last few weeks, you've said that prayer and you said, I want to follow, one of the next steps is saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do water baptism. It's an outward sign of an inward change and in decision that we've made. See, people can't see on the inside what's taking place, so we got to show them on the outside is saying hey it's kind of like I'm going down into the water and that old person that used to be me is going to stay there and I'm going to come up new a new person alive in Christ that's kind of the symbol of it it's just a beautiful symbol that God gives us to follow him in obedience if you said that prayer would you do me a favor if you're a guest today we have in, in your in your service guide there's a little card that's called the connection card would you take time and let us know that you're with us today we'd love to send you a letter I'm not going to hassle you or bug you if you have prayer requests, that's a great, great place to put it. If you come and you have questions, I would love to know you ask, know the questions you have, so we can answer them throughout the future series and messages. And if you made a decision today, would you let us know? Now I'm committing my life to follow Christ. I need, I need help, whatever it is, and we'd love to follow up with that. Water baptism. Today, um, we're finishing the service. Before we receive the offering, I want to make just just a couple of quick things. As Today at 5 o'clock at the Hyatt Place, we have our growth track, uh, 301, uh, which is kind of the third step in the growth track where we discover kind of how God wired us. Um, I heard that there's 90% of Christians don't know their gifting or really they're, they're, um, the call that God has kind of put on them, the, the redemptive calling to make a difference in this world. Tonight's class is to help us discover that. What is that redemptive calling? So 5 o'clock at Hyatt Place, just right behind Horseman's Haven, just down the road, we want to invite you to come and join us. Uh, last week at 201, we had a great group come out. A lot of fun. Growth track is going to be ongoing. So if you missed 101 and 201, next month they will start again. And we're going to invite you next week. 101 will start. Uh, we had to cut out 401 this this month because we had that fallout the first week. So we'll start our, our, our cycle going again. This will be a monthly thing. So if things come up, you can jump, jump in at any time. Today, 301, if you want to just come and you didn't do the other ones, you're welcome to come still. So be a part of that. Uh, I just want to say thank you for all you that give online. We have, um, as we, at the end of the service, we get opportunity to give. Uh, if you're guests, don't feel obligated to give in the offering. We want you just to enjoy service. But the reason we can have such a comfortable service is because we have generous people that believe in the vision of the Grove. Um, growth Track, we talk about that vision. And so we want to just say thank you for all that give online. Thank you so much. And for all of you who have been faithful in giving, we want to say thank you. Uh, for the rest, man, don't, don't feel obligated. Just enjoy service. Come, enjoy it. And then ask God as he, as he leads you to give and invest. Ask Him what He wants you to do, and then follow Him. He'll always, He'll never lead you wrong. He'll always lead you to the right place. And so, um, all right, let's pray. And um, we're going to close with a song and uh, with, with the offering today. God, thank you for the opportunity just to um, be able to come together. God, as we see in part, and and sometimes we see very distorted. Uh, We ask that you'd help us to to see and have eyes um, that that can see clearly like you did, like you do. God, we we think you're an awesome God, a brilliant God, and you want to help us. And so we invite you just to lead us. As a church, lead us. As individuals, lead us. As our families, would you lead us and guide us? I pray that this week that people on a daily basis would say, God, give me eyes to see what you're doing. Help me not to miss out on anything that you want to accomplish in my life. Give us eyes to see, God. I think for each person that came today, God, that you have something for them. Help them to receive that and to experience it your love and your kindness and your goodness. And uh, we are just in awe of you, God, and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray.